morning. It's a privilege to be able to come and to share God's word this morning. But I have a confession to make. Whenever you substitute preach, you usually have a lot of time to prepare. And that's the case usually when I preach. And so the pressure is on. It's sort of like being a pinch hitter in baseball. You know, everyone expects you to hit a home run. This would probably be more like a bunt. Memories. The capacity to remember. It's one of the greatest gifts that God has given us and one of the dearest joys of life. How wonderful it is that in our mind's eye, we can recreate persons, events, sights, smells, sounds, and even feelings from long ago. Even more wonderful that God allows people to forget the memories of hurt and pain and remember only the good and the joyful. Memories, you know, are important, but it's not always easy to remember, is it? A couple was sitting watching television one evening, and the husband got up and announced that he was going to the kitchen to get some ice cream and asked his wife if she'd like any as well. She said, yes. He said, would you like me to put anything on it? She said, yes, I'd love for you to put some chocolate bars on it. That would be lovely. Okay, anything else? Well, if we have some whipped cream in the fridge, that would really be nice if we could put some whipped cream on the ice cream. Okay, anything else? I think we have in the cabinet some sprinkles. Could you get those down and put some sprinkles on there? That would look really lovely. Yeah, uh, anything else? One more thing she said, I think we have some cherries in the fridge. Could you get a cherry out and put that on top? That would just really, really make it wonderful. I said, sure, no problem. She said, are you going to be able to remember all that? He said, yeah, no, no, no problem. So he disappears into the kitchen, and a little while later he comes back and hands her a ham and cheese sandwich. And she looks at it, and she says, where's the mustard? Memories. Memories are important. For instance, what happens when a family gets together? It may be Thanksgiving or Christmas or a birthday. People are sitting around and talking, and almost always someone says, Remember when? And the family takes a trip down memory lane. Or maybe they get out a photo album, start passing around pictures. Everyone laughs and remembers together. The people of God are like one big family. And they too have memories, something to recall. This morning as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are asked to remember as we eat and drink, Jesus says, remember, do this in remembrance of me. 
many of you know that my father was a Baptist minister. However, he came from a totally unchurched family. It wasn't until he was a teenager that he first set foot inside of a church building. He and his three brothers grew up on the streets of Boston, Massachusetts. And one day they found their way into a church that had a gymnasium and invited them to stay and play basketball. The church was Ruggles Street Baptist Church in Boston, Massachusetts. It's still there. Now, being teenage boys, they were inquisitive. And when the opportunity arose, they, shall we say, explored uh, the building. And one day, they snuck into the church sanctuary. And my father told me that he would always remember walking down in the front of the sanctuary in front of the communion table and seeing the words inscribed across the front of the table, just as we have them here, in remembrance of me, and wondering to himself who me was. In time, through the faithful ministry of that church, my father, his siblings, and his parents all came to know who me was. We come to remember. Listen to what Paul wrote in our text this morning about the meaning and the observance of the Lord's Supper and what it is that we are to remember. I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of Jesus, we are told. But what exactly are we to remember about Jesus as we observe communion? What is it that we are to remember? The answer to that question can be found in the context of our story. In our scripture this morning, Jesus and his disciples are gathered around a table in an upper room, eating what we have come to call the Last Supper. Leonardo da Vinci tried to recreate the Last Supper for us in the painting that you can see on the screen. We're told in the Synoptic Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that Jesus and his disciples are celebrating the Passover feast. 
In the Passover feast, God's children remember and relive the exodus from slavery and bondage in Egypt. They remember how the angel of the Lord killed the firstborn, son and cattle and sheep and oxen. They remember how the angel of the Lord passed over every Israelite home with the blood of the Passover lamb sprinkled on the doorframe. They remember how the Egyptians begged them to leave Egypt. On the table before them, Jesus' disciples see what is the Passover meal. Each element of the meal has special meaning. The unleavened bread on the table reminds them the haste with which Israel left Egypt. The bitter herbs remind them of slavery. The Passover lamb brings to mind God's merciful passing over Israel. And the red wine symbolizes the blood of the Passover lamb sprinkled on the doorposts. During this last supper with his disciples, Jesus reinterprets the traditional elements of the Passover feast and gives them new meaning. With the bread, Jesus says, this is my body given for you. With the wine, he says, this is a cup, a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus speaks of his body that has been given, his blood which has been poured out. The same language used to designate the flesh and blood of the Passover lamb. In other words, Jesus is speaking of himself as the Passover lamb. As Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And now in instituting the Lord's Supper, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, we are to remember and believe that Jesus is the Passover lamb. Why did the angel of the Lord pass over the Israelite homes when he visited death and destruction on Egypt. We need to remember that the Israelites were as sinful and stubborn as the Egyptians were. They worshiped other gods. They refused to accept God, Moses as God's servant. So why did the angel of the Lord pass over them? Because of the blood of the Lamb. The lamb was sacrificed in their place and for their sin. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Because of his blood upon the cross, God passes over our sin. He is the lamb sacrificed in our place for our sin. And we are to remember, as John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now, if Jesus' sacrificial, substitutionary death is the what that we should remember when we come to the Lord's table, we're also told in Scripture how we should come to the table to remember. I see three ways that we should come to remember. First, we should come to remember with joy. Coming to the Lord's table should be a joyous occasion. 
This is why we often announce it in church a week or more in advance that next week we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Day was a day of celebration for early Christians. Every Sunday they would come together to rejoice in Jesus' life and death and resurrection. The disciples of Jesus soon adopted the day as a day of worship, of celebration. That's why we worship on Sundays, the first day of the week. When they came together on Sunday or the Lord's Day, they would read and expound upon Old Testament passages that they believed spoke of Jesus. And then they would have a meal together and then conclude by sharing the bread and the cup and reciting the words of Jesus from that upper room. Sort of like the Sundays when we have a potluck. It was a time of celebration, rejoicing. And so it is after the example of the early Christians that we come to remember with joy and celebration. Secondly, we come to remember with thanksgiving. In fact, some churches refer to communion as the Eucharist. Have you heard that word, the Eucharist? It's a word that literally means thanksgiving. As we gather around this table, we give thanks for the life that Jesus lived and for the teaching that he left us. We give thanks that in Jesus, we have the clearest picture of God that the world has ever known. We give thanks for the sacrificial death of Jesus, the fact that he died in our place on Calvary. In the death of Jesus, we hear the word that God forgives our sins. And Jesus utters from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But of all the things that we are thankful for as we gather around this table, is that Jesus did not remain dead. Death could not hold him. On the third day, the Lord's day, he rose again. And his presence is with us always, even to the end of the world. Therefore, a lot of people believe in what's called the spiritual presence of Christ at the Lord's table. As Christians, we certainly believe that God is present everywhere. And we are just as certain that in every place where communion is truly observed, Jesus keeps his promise and is spiritually present. We come with thanksgiving because of his abiding presence with us. And we are thankful for his great love for us. In the Middle Ages, a popular preacher announced an evening sermon on the love of God. The congregation gathered early. Evening shadows began to lengthen. The last sunlight faded from the stained glass windows. And the preacher entered the sanctuary carrying a large candle. He walked to a life-size figure of Christ on the cross. And the preacher silently held the light beneath the wounds of the Lord's feet. And then his hands, and then he sighed, and then he lifted the candle to his thorn-pierced brow. And then he went out. 
silent sermon left some worshipers weeping. Weeping at the love of God that is beyond words. So for all these reasons and more, we come to the Lord's table remembering with thanksgiving. Lastly, we come to remember with dedication. In the latter part of the passage from which we read, the Apostle Paul speaks of the need for self-examination before we partake of the Lord's Supper. Examine yourselves, Paul says, and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The Lord's Supper calls us to examine our lives, to correct any waywardness or shortcomings. Apostle Paul warns us against coming to the Lord's table irreverently. We are not to eat of the bread and drink of the cup nonchalantly or carelessly or in a rote fashion, but with a sense of holy awe. And finally, as we depart from the Lord's table, we depart with a commission to share the good news of what God has done and Jesus Christ to the world. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Through our words, our deeds, our lives, we become living testimonies to the world of our faith in the crucified and resurrected Christ. The Lord's Supper calls us to remember with joy, with thanksgiving, with dedication, and to rededicate our lives anew to Christian discipleship and to service in the world. Come and remember.